2: We're
0: about to do God Someone who cares Okay. Hey, this is I'm Sid. A, uh, You're listening to Godfrey's amazing. <laughs> no. Amazing. Amazing. No. That's his last name. <laughs> yeah. What what's your your whole name? <laughs> Sid. <laughs> Croft. Oh, that's okay. right, it's just Sid Croft. Right, this Sid. is Mar- Start This again. is my. Mar- this is Marty Croft. And this is Sid Croft. And we're so happy that we've done your show. Thanks, Gilbert Gottfried, for everything. Gilbert, you're the best.
1: Oh, thank you, Sid. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll see you in New York.
0: See you next week.
2: I sure hope so.
0: This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast with my co-host, Frank Santopadre. We're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a popular, versatile, and very busy actor and director who started his career as a child star in the early 1960s and never looked back with dozens of film and television credits to his name. You've seen him in popular TV shows like Bonanza, My Three Sons, The Virginian, Night Gallery, Kung Fu, Room 222, The Quest, Entourage, Madam Secretary, and The West Wing and heard him as a voice actor in two iconic Hanna-Barbera series, Space Ghost and Johnny Quest. He's also directed episodes of dozens of notable series, including Heart of Dixie, Criminal Mind, Suit, Psych, Person of Interest, and Burn Notice, among others. He's also done outstanding work as an actor on the big screen in memorable movies such as Force American Style, Yours, Mine, and Ours, Magnum Force, 1941, A Little Sex, To Be or Not to Be, Fletch, Van Wilder, Black Sheep, A Very Brady Sequel, and of course, as rush chairman and future gyneologic... gynecologist, gynecologist? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, as Rush Chairman and future gynecologist, Eric Stratton, in one of the best and funniest comedies ever made, National Lampoons Animal House. In a long and productive career, he's worked with Bob Hope, Henry Fonda, Lucille Ball, Jackie Gleason, Steven Spielberg, Mel Brooks, Clint Eastwood, Don Notch, and Tim Conway, and former podcast guests, Chevy Chase and Dick Van Dyke. Hell! He even worked with Mel Blanc, Joe Flynn, and Professor Erwin Corey. It's our pleasure to welcome to the show one of our favorite performers and a man who valiantly tried to rescue the National Lampoon. He's damn glad to meet you, Tim Matheson. Hi, Gilbert. Hi, Frank. How are Hi. you, guys? Sam? Hey, hello, hello. You I- think he'd
1: know the name, the word gynecologist? <laughs> <laughs> of all the words for you not to know. <laughs> that's for sure. He can do it. He just can't say it. Exactly. I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's that's one of those words that's in about fifty of the jokes I tell on stage, <laughs> and and yet I fuck it up. <laughs> Now Tim, we first met cuz I used to write for Lampoon and we oh, first right. met over there.
2: That's what it was. I was breaking my mind trying to figure out what it was. And and we've, you know, we wanted we wanted you guys to come out to Hollywood. We wanted to revitalize the Lampoon, put a bunch of money into it, get into TV and movies again after cuz it had fallen on harder times and uh, Oh, God! Those were the golden years when you know when you were there, man. That's great.
0: Yeah, that was fun. That's where I became friends with Drew. That's right, Jew Dotsfried. You did you did photo funnies. You did those uh, old yeah. th- promedy things yeah. that
1: they used to do that Doug Kenny used to do. At, and-
0: at first, I would do articles, and then I realized the photo funnies t- is much less work. And you get photographed with naked girls Yeah, me. there's boobs. That you had to have boobs in it. It was where they got the
2: boobs in the National Lampoon. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it was <laughs> well, separated from bed.
0: Oh my God! Yeah,
2: it was. It you know, and it broke my heart that we couldn't turn it around. That we weren't able to do it. It was back in that time in the '80s when everybody was raising you know through Mike Milken. They were you know, putting together you know hundred million dollars here and fifty million dollars there, and all we needed was five million dollars and couldn't get it. Wow. You know, and couldn't and we and uh, unfortunately we had to merge with a company that really didn't have its
1: best interests at heart and uh, otherwise they were going to go broke anyway. Was that J2 Communications? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a, That's another scary story. Oh. No, nobody got paid. I remember working there, freelancing there and one day there was oh a padlock on the door. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> when and they and were I, down on right. Spring Street.
0: And I oh that's right. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. He was uh he was a bad guy. Yeah. yeah and, the guy and, behind and, Dorf
0: I, I just realized something. That was it. The
2: guy behind the door <laughs> was He's one of those guys that if if, if it was only, if only his ideas were any good, you know, and uh-huh. he just he really he just was yeah, he was a bad guy. Yeah.
1: Yeah,
0: Cuz before then there was the Simmons brothers. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 And then They're good so, guys. so you bought the company or what? We did we did a
2: takeover. We we bought the stock, we paid Maddie off and and we you know, trimmed back all the fat. Uh, you know, there were a lot, there were a lot of Simmons working in in the Lampoon, and we wanted to. And the the Lampoon was the magazine was losing money every month, and so we wanted to shrink that deficit every month, and then restaff it and get you know like yourself, young, talented, funny people who know how to do that and be funny and get it back to its prime where it was doing the radio show where it was doing. uh Lemmings, where it was doing, you know, a sh- a Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows where it was, you know, where we would get into podcasts, you know, and mm-hmm. go back in and, and get into movie deals. But basically what had happened was they had just been licensing the name for the yeah, sure. right, for whatever money came in.
0: And and I remember for a while there, it seemed like there were about a thousand different times I'd be watching TV at three in the morning And and you'd see some movie and you go, what the fuck is this? And it would always be National Lampoon presents
1: Loaded Weapon.
0: Yes, yes. (laughs) Yeah, there was a series, and that was one of the. That was one of the better ones. Yeah, Yeah. that was well. There
1: there were so many I forgot. Yeah, I, it's interesting, Tim. I heard you say that the, the, you you wound up spending a lot of time with people that you. That's the reason you became an actor was to avoid people like that. <laughs> yes,
2: I mean, it, it was there was one point where we would go pitch, uh, uh, you know, all, all the uh, the big uh, uh, firms that would would pay for, you know, like uh, uh, Smith Barney and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know all all the big uh, firms that were investing like that. And then we went from one of those meetings right into a mob uh, meeting with a bunch of. I, I, they didn't say they were mobsters, but it was a bunch of guys and literally wanted us to sign a contract before we walked out of the room. Wow! And they said, "Yeah, yeah, we'll do this deal. Well, it's a great deal. We're going to do this deal." And it was like, "Yeah, but we got to talk to the board of directors. We can't just sign." Yeah, you can sign. Just sign it now. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know if we're going to get out of there. But it was like it was, the Lampoon was in desperate straits at that time, and and uh, we were dealing with Michael Milken, and 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 he almost did the deal until the federal uh,
1: prosecutors got a hold of him. You're to be admired for trying to return it to its glory days. Those were great I days. I loved
2: it. I loved it. And Guild, you you should talk about what your experience was like there because it was just that was you know what Doug Kenny did and what and you
1: guys were doing. That was the fun thing. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah, Henry I, I, Beard and Doug and everybody.
0: And I remember once I finally got into the scam of writing the photo funnies, <laughs> rather than actually putting some thought into an article, I I found myself writing the same photo funny <laughs> like 10 times in a row with a slight variation. Bigger tits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. In one, they were... Uh, Women from outer space, <laughs> then then women from another galaxy.
2: <laughs> there was such great material. You know, John Hughes used to write for him. Of course, and, and, uh, everybody uh, Brian, and Brian Chris McConaughey Miller. and McKenney. Yep. Yeah, yep. and, Chris and, Miller. Uh, yeah, and Chris Miller. Yeah, Chris and and God, I and mean, just a it was it was Sean, Ke- of, Sean Kelly, Henry Beard.
1: Sean all, Kelly, and, another, and another great guy.
2: And but then when we got there, we found out that. What had happened to them, that they couldn't afford those guys anymore. So they would they would license them to write a story, but they'd only license it for one episode. They didn't own anything anymore. So once you got into the library, there was no library except for the old Doug Kinney era. Right. You know? right, right? They didn't own anything. So all the stuff, because like Uncle Buck was a story that had been written by John, John Hughes. That's right. For the Lampoon, but you know what? I mean, that's the kind of stuff we wanted to make movies out of, you know, and work with guys like Hughes.
1: Right, right, right. So. Let, let's go. Let's go way, way back. Because before we turned the mics on, we were talking about some of the wonderful character actors you worked with back in the day. You, it's fair to say you had an entire Western period of your career. Oh God, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was a kid actor, not a not a a kid star. I, fortunately, I think
2: I was like the third kid through the door, you know. It was like uh, <laughs> the, uh, here would come the lead guy and then his pal and then me. I had a couple of lines going. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. And and so and I, you know, I I got my training that way and I worked uh and and uh then I started doing voice work and as Gilbert knows, I mean, that's that's a, a period where I really learned about the craft of acting cuz I got to tell you and it Those are the best. Some of the best actors I've ever worked with. Mel Blanc was exceptional. He was one of the most amazing. He could do a scene by himself with two characters. Amazing. You know, it's like you've seen it, Gilbert. I mean, you do
0: Uh, that. It's like it's like those are the most amazing people. Yeah, Mel Blanc to me was just he would have been the ideal guest on this show. Like an Uh, otherworldly talent.
1: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and
0: Messick too. Don Messick. Oh, and
2: Messick. Don Messick. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, who lived up in Santa Barbara and and uh, was. You know he'd do the dog, he would do the he'd do the characters, he he'd just do anything and everything. And he would do the dog differently than any other dog he'd done and, and he'd give it a personality.
0: And and if you're out there and you're shameful enough not to know Mel Blanc, he was the voice of every Warner Brothers cartoon. Yeah. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Porky Pig. Yosemite Sam,
1: <laughs> as Barney Rubble, Barney Rubble, <laughs> yeah. and a
0: million, a million other things.
1: characters. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, when I was doing Johnny Quest, which is the first voiceover stuff I did, I was 15 and 16, I was in high school, so I still had to go to school on the set. So when I would go do an episode of Johnny Quest, I had to go three hours early, and or four hours early, do my schoolwork 3 for 3 hours have an hour of lunch and then go and record so i'm hanging out at handbarberry while i'm doing my schoolwork which i could do in probably 20 minutes how cool and i just i'd wander around and talk to the animators and see all this you know the cells they were doing because they did it right there and i could go watch you know Alan reed and june foray and and oh, all these janet waldo and, and janet waldo all these incredible yeah. classic artists that did this voice work and I mean it was exceptional it was
1: just exceptional you call them the pros from Dover I saw in an, in an, in an <laughs> interview they really yeah. were they could do anything
0: and and what were they like in person these people they
2: were, you know they were they were lovely and very nice and I, I real and rich because what would happen was they would do this they'd do an episode of the Flintstones and then they'd get in their car and they'd go do five more uh, you know different recording sessions during the day and and I saw I remember a guy named Marvin Miller who did uh, um, the oh, yeah. millionaire oh,
1: right wow. yeah sure
2: ah, he had a huge ah, voiceover. Ah. he came in and one of the most expensive cars I ever saw in my life was the the gullwing mercedes it was like brand new and I was like oh my god like was this this guy's just he they print the money you know in mel blank certainly
0: was yeah. like i remember like see people don't realize You know, you'll hear Michael Douglas and people like that doing voiceovers. But these people who you don't know their names, but they do the voice of everything. And I would see them. (laughs) They would come in, you know, do the voice and run. Their car would be running downstairs. (laughs) A guy like Frank Welker. Yes, yes. And it would be like they do like 20 jobs in a day.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's Billy West money. They do it from their
2: home now, right? Yeah. They do it like an ISDN line, and they build a booth in their in their home, and they just sit there and record all day.
0: Yeah, they uh, sit in their underwear with a cup of coffee <laughs> and and don't even have to leave the house.
1: Yeah, yeah. You auditioned it's, it's, at the old building? Uh, it was the old Barbera, uh, Barbera building on Ventura.
2: Yes, yes, I did.
1: For Joe and Bill, you auditioned for them personally? Yeah.
2: And and Joe was the guy who ran the show. Mm-hmm. He, you know, supervised it, he directed the episodes. And Bill was like the backstage guy. He was he ran the office, he ran I guess the distribution. He did all the business stuff. And Joe was the guy who interacted with the actors. Was a, you know, was a glib, wonderful, you know, and he gave me my opportunity to start getting into the other side of things. He let I I said I'm gonna write an episode for you. He said, "Yeah, bring it in. Pitch me a bunch of ideas. I'll, if we like any idea, I'll let you write one. That's great." And I think I wrote two or three episodes. And he was he was couldn't have been more gracious and couldn't have
0: been more helpful. Now I heard Hannah and Barbara hated each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the I end. don't know. That was Evan Costello. <laughs> I mean, I. I
2: I, I don't know. I never saw any animosity between them, but I never saw you know. But Bill Hanna was never around. It was always
1: Joe. Yeah, and I mean, Bill would be there occasionally, but was it Doug Wildy Doug Wildy present at any of those uh, those Johnny Quest sessions? At the beginning,
2: Doug was there, and he was like because he was this you know incredible illustrator. Oh just, yeah, he was more in the Marvel mold, you know, mm-hmm. in the real realistic uh, um, representation. But I think after a couple of episodes, they decided we don't, you know, we're going to, the network wanted to do what it was going to do. And, and, and so Doug sort of took a back seat, I guess.
1: Do you get a kick watching those today? Can you, I mean, probably there's, people don't know. It's only one season of Johnny Yes, yeah. And yes, exactly right. It was the first
2: non-comedic half-hour cartoon show 26 ever. episodes. You know, that I, I, I don't, I can't think of it, and probably now they have some, but I mean, it's like then, it was amazing.
1: Do you, do you watch them still? Do you, do, you, do you ever, do you ever catch them and hear that great theme song, that Hoyt Curtin theme song and just get flashbacks? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have, I you know, I've seen clips of it here and there. I haven't really sat down and watched one in a while. Mm-hmm. And then when they rebooted it for, for, um, I it was a TNT or TBS or something. I, I I actually ran across a couple of pictures I had the other day of me, Joe Barbera, and the kid, the new kid that they got to do Johnny. Right. And I played some other voice in. It. I did a voice. You know, so cool.
0: And yeah. I I myself did three movies with Jack Warden and never did a scene with him. <laughs> <laughs> I think Tim
1: did some scenes with him. Yeah, I did.
0: So he how was, was it like to work
1: with him? Well,
2: uh, he was a he was a Real treat, and you know the lowest key kind of this, the layback, kickback guy, but he, he, it was at that point in my life where I sometimes I'd get on, you know, in a part. I remember I worked with him in a show called Jigsaw John. I think it was his show. Yeah, that's right. A very forgettable episodic series that he did, and I remember coming in to do a, a scene or a test scene or something for to get onto that show, and. Jack directed me. I mean, he just said, "Hey, you know, why don't you try this? Why don't you, you know?" But it was just not telling me what to do. What it says, you know, I just yeah, just try this, and and then you, and then there was one transition I had a hard time making. And he said, "You know, don't work it so much." He says, "You've had this idea for a long time, and then it just comes out easier." You know, I go,
0: "Oh yeah, right." That's so cool. Jack Wooden could have been a director.
2: Oh God! Well, he was yes. I mean, he was so subtle and so wonderful and naturalistic and real. And uh, but the chance to do that, I did this movie called Dreamer with him and uh, Susan Blakely. It was, it was you know, and, and and in in cinema, I think he's the only man who ever on camera have bowled himself to death. Uh, his, his character had
1: a heart oh. attack. I, I watched it yeah. yesterday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> there's a, there's that distinction that Jack uh, actually, that and his Oscar. So, I mean, you
0: know. I, well, I remember hearing a story about Jack Warden where he was doing construction work during the day <laughs> when he was a struggling actor. And he showed up at an audition for King Lear. And, you know, smelly, covered in soot and and uh, i think jack house jack houseman uh, john, john houseman john, houseman. john, john houseman. houseman yes was the guy in charge and he <laughs> said and just what do you see playing in this production what do you <laughs> see yourself playing in this production and jack warden said well hell who's playing lear <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a
1: body of work when you go and you look at 12, all of that stuff, from 12 Angry Men to all the way to The Verdict, he and worked, Heaven Can Wait.
0: He worked a bunch of times with Warren Beatty.
1: Yeah, he's in all kinds yeah. of stuff. Yeah, well, he turns up in Bullworth, I think.
0: Oh, that's Being right. Being
1: there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was wonderful. wonderful But, you know, there there's
2: almost, it's a forgotten sort of role that that, that there was a a huge number of those. Those character actors, stars like Jack Warden, Sydney Greenstreet, um, you know that uh, Melvin Douglas. Oh yeah, those guys. Yeah. You know, yeah, a good uh, example. Ed Bagley, Senior. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they were they were these guys that played those huge roles. Lee J. Cobb that, and Lee J. Cobb certainly, yeah. and yeah. and you know, and I, I, there's a few of those around now, but it's not it's not quite the same. Oh, thing.
0: Nehemiah Persoff was one.
2: Yes, there. yeah. yeah. Martin yeah. Balsam and you know there was a whole slew of New York actors that
0: and and they were those kind of actors that we love here. Uh, the kind of actors that could you didn't know their names the mo- yep. for the most part but they could do everything.
1: Charles Durning's another good example, another guy oh, you Ch- worked with. Charlie Durning,
2: yeah, he yeah. was he was <laughs> he was great. And 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 a, and a fantastic dancer, absolutely. I, I <laughs> yes, found out. I heard. Right, you know, he could he could
1: do a song and dance too.
0: Yeah, but, I heard he was a dance instructor for a while. Is
1: that right? Jeez. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. We love character
1: actors on this show. We've had Joe Pantoliano. We've had Bruce Stern. Uh, yeah. we we've we've had a lot of those guys. Uh, Ron Liebman and Jessica Walter were here. We oh, yeah. you know
0: we 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 worship that uh, that oh, craft. And and the guy, uh oh fuck. The guy from all of the uh, Corman movies. Oh, we had Dick Miller here. Yeah. <laughs> ah.
1: Yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's another a. The, there was a story. I did this movie, "To Be or Not to Be," that Mel Brooks and, uh-huh. and and Bancroft, Charlie Durning, and and Jose Ferrer were in, and and a slew of other people, wonderful people. And um, there was a, and Mel was always he wasn't directing it. You know, there was another guy who was directing it, which was. Crazy because Mel was directing it. You know? <laughs> yeah, so, I'm sure. And one day, the, uh, Anne Bancroft and Charlie Durning were doing a scene, and Mel hadn't been around, and they were re- you know rehearsing the scene, and Mel stopped and watched the scene. And he goes, "Hey, let me tell you what to do." And you know, it's like, and and it, they were in the middle of rehearsing with the director, and Ann Bancroft said, hold on, everyone, hold on. What, what have we got here? We have Mel Brooks trying to direct Oscar winner Charles Durning and Oscar winner Anne Bancroft. And Mel said, all right, all right, do it the way you want to do it. That's great. But she was, with that humor and that finesse, was one of the few people who could handle Mel.
1: Yeah, yeah. That you're good in that movie. You're very funny in that movie. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Was it was fun. Yes, it was a treat. And
0: what was Mel like to deal with when you were <laughs> <laughs> the most exuberant, excitable? I mean,
2: and it was back when the before this was like the time of the transition to. Um, to video assist where they would, you know, and it was a big deal. We had a video assist. We had a, a, a video camera on the camera. System came through, and you could record the scene. Well, it would take forever to shoot anything because Mel would shoot a take, and then he'd look at it, and he'd say, Let's do another one. He'd change a little bit and change a little bit, and literally it would be like take 14. Know? <laughs> you're exhausted with this scene. And finally, he'd so go, that's it. Then he'd look at it, and he'd go, all right, print one, two, and fourteen, but we won't use it. You know. So basically, he just he just wanted to prove he was right about one and take one and two. I mean, he was. But but he was great. He was. I I, I actually got to sleep with him in a scene. I oh.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I slept with Mel Brooks. Yes. Yeah. And and video assist. Uh, another thing that that was what Jerry Lewis invented. That's right. And said he That's wanted right. to be known for. Yeah.
1: Or remembered for. Is that right? Supposedly. Yeah. yeah among other he was, things. He was funnier than video assist, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's interesting, Tim, that you always knew that you wanted to be an actor from from a from a very early age. You're one of those people you've said who was lucky enough to know. Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, there was no doubt. I mean, it was I, I you know, I don't even I remember the first time I was on, you know, like a play at school or something and like in the 3rd grade or 4th grade. And or I remember the first laugh I got. I mean, Gil, I bet you do too. I mean, it, it just, and something happens. You go, I like that. I like that. Yeah. I can do that. Right? <laughs> what oh, was the yeah. laugh? I, it was, it was, it was a play about Sacagawea, you know? I mean, it was, and if you can get a laugh in a play <laughs> about right Sacagawea, <laughs> you got a career
1: in this business, let me tell you. Didn't you have an empty TV console in your house, and you used to crawl inside of it? And- oh yes, yes, yeah. And that's that was a um,
2: gosh. It was back in the day of oh my god. In the early fifties, we had you know you had these huge consoles with this little bitty screen, and yes. the, and then when the TV broke down, they'd haul the whole guts out of it and take it away for a week or so and work on it. And so I would get inside this huge console because they took the back off, so I could sneak in and get in there and and stick my head in the screen and then and play what well, then was probably Stan Freeberg as Beanie and Cecil or or some silly stuff, you know, or and and um, yeah, I just I loved I loved and I was not an outgoing guy, you know. There's these kind of actors that are you know they do voices, they do like. Like Gil, they, they, you know, you do, you, you can, do, and I'm not a great mimic. I can't do like, you know, uh, voiceover, you know, like the people that we know. And so I, I but I just like performing. I just made me a shy kid. It mm-hmm. gave me freedom to be whatever I wanted to be.
0: So did you say to your parents, like, I want to be an actor or how did it come about? you know i did my mom and my mom was like okay whatever
2: you want I mean, you want to play baseball guy we'll get you in a little league you want to and and, and cuz was a, uh, my mother was a single parent and she worked two jobs to to keep us afloat um, and so i it, it worked out that you know she, i could either take a bus or get a ride she'd get off work and come and take me to my auditions which had to be after 4 o'clock because you were in school until 3, and then usually the, uh, the auditions were between 4 and 6. So it worked out. And then when I worked, I'd get a job a day here, a day there, uh, acting. She would drop me off at the studio, find another parent that was working on the set, and say, would you watch my kid and tell the teacher that you're responsible for him? And then she'd go off to work, and then when she got done with work, at the end of the day, she'd come pick me up.
1: What a cool mom she was great to, enc- she, to encourage and also facilitate yeah she
2: was she was a, a, a big champion of mine literally every every ad every tv guide that had my name in it she put <laughs> she lacquered and put on a plaque
0: <laughs> <laughs> fantastic
2: and it was like you know it was like just the la times and, the The section that shows what's going to be on Channel Five at 10, you know at six o'clock, she placked it, you know, and it was like,
0: oh my god!
1: <laughs> I saw an interview with you and you said you were doing Leave It to Beaver, and you were actually starstruck by Jerry Mathers. Oh, <laughs> 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 he was the first young star I
2: think I ever met, and 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 I just when I said, when I was on that show, I thought, wow, now I've arrived. I mean, yeah. if you know, this yeah, was yeah. like this is a show that had been on. As long as I could remember, and and he was a nice kid, Jerry Mathers. He was.
1: But you're a kid, and you're working with these legends. I mean, Fred McMurray and 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 Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda and Jackie Gleason, and you know, you're up not out of your teens. Yeah, I was lucky um, to
2: had the uh, have the opportunity to work with vaudevillians. You know, like like Debbie Reynolds and uh, I don't know if Bob Van Dyke, but uh, Bert Lahr. Gleason, Bert Lahr. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh my God. I did a pilot with Burt Lahr. Yes, you did. And, and um, so, and there was something, and Lucy and, you know, and Henry, I don't think was in vaudeville, but Bob Hope, and and they kept, they took care of the people that they had worked with in vaudeville or back in the old days, early days of movies that had fallen on harder times. And so they'd have them, you know, Bob Hope would have them, or Gleason would have them around his stand-ins, or, you know, they'd get a one day here, a line there, and, and uh, but they were tough, you know. Lucy was was tough. Uh she whether you were 3 or 83, you know your lines, you show up and you do your job and there's no goofing around, no BS. And and uh you know, she taught me how to prepare. Henry was the same way. Henry was but Henry was really cool and relaxed. Uh Lucy <laughs> Lucy, <laughs> Lucy was you know, she was worrying about the budget, so you know, she was she was more more uh, um concerned about everything and Henry was like okay Lucy it's gonna be fine come on now Lucy it'll be
1: all right we'll do it <laughs> she, she was a taskmaster huh she was she definitely
2: was but but you know there was times she' invi- I remember she invited me into her trailer and sat and talked to me about what I wanted to do and how you know uh, and what you know what it took to be a star you want to be a star you got to act like a star and uh whatever that meant I don't know <laughs> <laughs> And, but she was, you know, she 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 could sort of let down her her guard and and be, you know, as personal as she could. But she was, you know, she was the first female executive in Hollywood. She owned a huge oh, yeah. studio, Desi Lou with with Desi, and she ran it. She ran her other show. They owned uh, Desi Lou Gower Kowenga and yep. Culver City Studio. They were huge studios. That they ultimately sold. And when we started Yours, Mine, and Ours, I think she just closed the deal, sold, sold out Desi Lou for like, I don't know, 20-some-odd million dollars, which was probably like a billion dollars
0: today. Hello, this is all Deluxe, and we will return to for Godfrey's Amazing Collateral Podcast right after this.
2: Hi, I'm Dee Wallace, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazingly Colossal Podcast. Baby! Close. Did I do it right? No, it's not amazingly, it's Just amazing colossal. Okay.
0: I like Shut up.
2: Shut up. Hi, I'm Dee Wallace, and you're listening to Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing
0: Colossal Podcast. Baby! (laughs) (laughs) I can't work with you again. Perfect. I like (laughs) sex. (laughs) Live from Nutmeg Post, we now return to Gilbert and Frank's amazing, colossal podcast.
1: I got to bring up some of these other actors too, and now you got me thinking how many of them were in vaudeville. I mean, Joe Flynn we mentioned, uh, Van, yeah. Van Johnson, oh yeah, is in yours, mine, and ours, and I think he's in Divorce American Style. Yes, he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lee Lee Grant, who we had on this show, who's wonderful. I just met her. She's a doll. Oh, you just met her at Chiller. Yes,
2: that's right. Yes, yes. isn't that
1: cool? Yeah. and she's she in right. love with me. She loves Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> what's not to love? <laughs> Tom Bosley, uh, uh, Jason Robards, yeah. Dick Van Dyke is obviously in *Divorce American Style*. Uh, uh, Shelley Berman. I mean, you're working with all of these people. You're not asley Leslie, your, L- Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. You did *Bracken's World*. Yeah, right? and oh, I did right. also. He was
2: he was in uh, um, *How to Commit Marriage*. The the oh, Hope that's movie, right. And he was also in uh, the first episode I did of *The Virginian*. That's right. Um, and uh, a great role model, you know. And he was the kind of guy who would sit there and say. Don't worry so much about acting. Read the paper in the morning when you get on the set. Read the paper. Find out what's going on in the world, you know. Have other interests. Don't just get all sucked up in, you know, oh, interesting. In acting. Yeah, he, he was He, he was had a perspective. Very, very, that and he had a little uh, uh, a fart sound Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> he went with he, was, out. he was <laughs> obsessed with that yes. You know, you moved, you worked with him, didn't you? I, I I remember I once met him at some event. And of course he had that fart maker with him. Yeah. And and I told him, I said, Oh, I had one of those that didn't work uh well. And and he told me, he said, Okay, well what what type do you have? Is it the one with the black rubber and the hard red metal? And I said, Yeah, I think that's it. And he goes, Oh, that's useless. Throw it away. What you wanna get is the tan? <laughs> he knew exactly That's what fart maker to get.
2: That's oh hilarious. Yeah, yeah, and he was obsessed.
0: You couldn't, you couldn't carry on
2: with you. You'd you would be in a room, and that he'd, you know, you'd hear this, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I was in on the joke, but he would do it when people who weren't in on the joke
1: were standing around, and it was just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tim, do you, do you do you look back at these people sometimes and say, "Wow"? I mean, at thirteen or fourteen, I really didn't quite have the perspective to know that this is Henry Fonda, this is Lucille Ball, this is you know Jason Robards. You work with uh, Richard Widmark and Burl Ives and Brian Keith, and all, just all of these people. You, I kind of, I kind of
2: knew. You kind of knew I mean, even then. On a good day, I mean, it was like uh, some of them I, I knew, um, and and I, I knew enough to. To pay attention. Uh-huh. Um, I remember Henry, I mean, especially like with Henry, I, there was a scene, because uh, I was just beginning to study acting, and it was, there was a scene the first day of Yours, Mine, and Ours. And Henry's supposed to get up. He's at his house with all his kids, and he gets up, and he's leaving the house. He goes to the front door, and he stops at the front door, and he turns around, and he has this huge speech, I don't know, half, three-quarters of a page and I was looking at the script, and I was thinking as an actor, how would I do this? I wouldn't know. I don't know how you, what's he going to say? Because Lucy had written her part, and they had written her part for her. And this really hadn't been tailored for Henry, I don't think, at that point, you know.
1: Interesting. But Henry
2: gets up. we go to roll the film, and then, we, you know, first take, and Henry stands up, does the scene, walks up to the door, turns around, and he's so relaxed and so natural, and he's Henry Fonda. And he just had all those inflections and all those beats. And he was just so rich and so full. And I just looked at him. I said, God, that's a movie star. And I believed every word he said. And I just realized, I mean, you just, by osmosis, you get, wow, I want to do that. That's what it is. I don't know how he does it, but that's what you got to get to to be who Henry Fonda is. So it's, it's an example that you got to really, through your studies, got to figure out, oh, Oh, I know how to get there. You know, you just got to make it real for yourself. And it was, but it was a real sort of, it it was a schooling, you know, by just to work with those people, like with Debbie and Dick Van Dyke.
1: Jason Robards.
0: And and Robards. Yeah. You had like the greatest teachers in the world throughout your career. Yeah. I mean,
2: because, and I was a kid, so it's like, it was a, it was, the, the, Sort of that career that not a lot of not of people get. You know, usually this, you know, you're starting when you're 20s, your late teens or something. But here I was at, at a very youthful age. You know, my favorite story was when when I was doing this horrible movie with Bob Hope and Jackie Gleason. Only only terrible script. I mean, but it was fun to do. But the, I was a Jackie's son, and I'm marrying this hippie girl and. We're in a band, you know. So they had a real band playing the band, and they had this young actress who'd never acted before. And so when we rehearsed the scene, it was like, you didn't know what they were going to do, and they weren't very good at it. And Jackie looked at me one day and sort of just whispered, he says, kid, you and I are the only ones here and know what we're doing. Let's just get this show on the road. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, yeah, Jackie, you got it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen How to Commit Marriage. Is that the one where Bob Hope plays golf with a chimp?
2: Yes, yes. And that and that was the ri- and, and it was the first inkling that this is going to be a stinker. I get the, the pink pages, you know, and it was like that oh, was not a bad movie before that. And I got the pages and they they cut all this crap out and then they put in this golf game with a with a chimpanzee and I said, "Oh
1: god, we're in trouble." <laughs>
0: Once they throw in a chimp at means no more ideas left.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's the one Professor Irwin Corey turns up in. Oh,
0: that's right. Out of commit marriage. That's right.
1: Yeah, and Tina Louise, and Tina Louise, and Jane Wyman, and Jane Wyman. Oh, that's right. Yes,
2: yes the, that's former, right. Uh, the former wife of uh, the Abs- President Reagan. Absolutely. There was one. And this is uh, this is out of school, but so one day there's a. Gleason and Hope are sitting at a table and they're running all these these pretty girls via dancers and, you know, all these young ladies are coming in and it's like an audition. And I was like, wow, I what part are they auditioning? There's no, there's no parts for any young ladies like that, whatever. Maybe they've writ, written a scene or something. And I think they were auditioning for, then. you know, after this audition thing went over, went down, a couple of the girls were standing by there and they went, okay, that's lunch. And we all went to lunch. And I think that the, it was a casting session for some extracurricular activity <laughs> that took place
0: during lunch. <laughs> for Hope or Gleason? I think both. <laughs> see, <laughs> see, back then, yeah, yeah was n- no such a thing as sexual harassment. <laughs> 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 Are you sure about that? Well, it existed, <laughs> yeah. but there Not wasn't that a name. word for it. Yeah. No. And, and it was just like... Business as usual.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a bit shameful, but it was like, um, it was, it was, it, and it took me like probably, it, it, I didn't realize it to probably four or five days later and went, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: I was real quick. <laughs> and there was another actor you worked with who was in To Kill a Mockingbird and a Pawnbroker, uh, Brock Peters. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. 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 Was that Night Gallery? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was I, I
2: was under contract to Universal. I was one of the last sort of contract actors uh, that back in the day, and it was so it was like 1966 or seven. I was in The Virginian, mm-hmm. and, and and they put me under what they called long-term, uh, long term, uh, long yeah long term term contract. And so I did The Virginian for a year. Then it changed to the Men from Shiloh, and I my character went away. But they had written a pilot for me to uh, star in, and so it was a two-hour movie, and then I got another whole year under contract. And so I did every show at Universal. And um, and I'd have to still audition, but because they were paying me, I'd go in and audition. By God, I got everyone I auditioned for. It was amazing. (laughs) Imagine that. I kept thinking, wow, I'm really good, aren't I? (laughs) And and one of those was Night Gallery, and um, it was a treat because I had at an early age one of the earliest jobs I did. I was a uh, I did a, a like a small little part. I think I got cut from a night from a, a Twilight Zone episode. Um, oh, really? Was, yeah, one about a character that had uh, married a younger woman. I think Ruta Lee played that the a younger wife, and he was trying to. To, to, you know, keep up with her, and she was worried he was too old, and he felt bad about it, so his brother was a scientist, and it had this potion that he could drink and make him younger. Well, he drank so much of it that in one scene you see him, you know, like, ah, oh, he's going through the throes of some horrible thing, and then he rushes out of the room, and in the next room he's like, Twenty years old running there, and then he falls down. And when he gets up, he's twelve years old. And he runs into the other room, and he falls on the bed. And then he's a baby laying there on the bed. I, I was the twelve-year-old, but I think uh, they—I think they trimmed it. I don't think they needed that piece. But I, you know, I got to meet Rod Serling, and and uh, wow, so Night Gallery was the, was the chance I got to really spend some time with him as sort of like an adult actor, and I could talk to him. about
1: Patrick McNee is in that, uh, is in That's that uh, right. gallery <laughs> episode, too, from, I, from The Avengers. I remember
0: that one. Yeah, yes. yes
1: yeah. Oh, God. You did and, so and much. I
0: remember Patrick McNee one time went on TV and presented that episode years later. Did he? And and he said, had they filmed it now, think of the money they would have saved on makeup for the old man. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Night, Night Gallery is one of those shows that you just always wanted to be better. You wanted it yeah. to be as good as the Twilight Zone, and it just it it didn't quite live. Well, because
0: Rod Rod didn't write it. He him. didn't write
1: it. Yeah, nah. He was, you know, the, he was just he was taking a check. Right, right, right.
0: Yeah, I I heard it was just let's slap Rod Serling's name on it, and that's it. There are some good ones.
1: There's, yeah, there's some real moments. Look at the. I'm but just looking at the TV you did then, Tim. The bold ones, Ironside. You did the Smith family again with your pal Henry Fonda. And Ronnie Howard. And Ronnie Howard, you went back yeah. and did and worked with Lucy again on Here's Lucy. Yes, yeah. Uh, Night Gallery, uh, Kung Fu, Room twenty two, Bracken's World. I mean, you're working like crazy. I, I assume some of those are Universal shows that you were many
2: about. of them were, but but there's a lot of them were freelance and, the, and Universal did that thing where they I'd go out and audition for other shows and get them like the Smith Family or Bracken's World, right? And then they would take the money. And just keep paying me my check, so I think I think they came out ahead on the deal, you know. After
1: police uh, story, the magician with Bill Bixby.
0: That's right. Medical Center, and
1: Hawaii Five O, Owen Marshall. Count Cal- we, we remember all of these shows. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> and uh, right around this time, and I'm looking at some of these other actors you work with. These great names: Burl Ives, Keenan Wynn. My God, uh, young Nick Nolte. Uh, uh, yes. Right around <laughs> this time, you did <laughs> Magnum Force. Yeah, yeah. I had been. Uh, I'd been.
2: my first vacation, I went to, to Europe sort of bumming around with a buddy of mine and, and we started London, went to Paris and then got to Rome and, um, and I got a call that I, and a script, because there was the William Morris agency, was my agency at the time, um, gave me the script and said, I, you know, they need you back in LA to audition for this, so, oh, that's great, and, um, so I got on a plane and I worked on this audition for the you know the lead cop and I was thinking ah oh, I really want to be in this movie, and I get there and I go in for my audition where I think is an audition and the director says how tall are you and I said uh, I'm six two and he says okay you got it, And I said, <laughs> well what, what do you mean you got it? he said yeah you're gonna play this guy and I said well can I read for that one he says nah it's been cast for months um, it was David Soul's part David Soul which was, yeah a, a bigger a bigger character part and. Uh, and he just said, I just want to make sure you were the right size. And he said, now we're not going to start shooting for six weeks. And I said, well, I came all the way back from Rome, I could have said. <laughs> <It> was like. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to say, working with Clint was was just a, a, a trip. Because I didn't know if he was the real deal. You know, I just thought, ah, this guy's a TV actor. Became, I, you know, I was full of myself as an actor. And I thought, you know, God, he is he a really an actor? And I came up to him the first day of shooting and I said, hi Clint, how are you? I'm Tim. And I, listen, you want to rehearse, you want to work on the scene, you want to do anything. And he said, I'll be happy to do that with you. And he goes, no, no, I, you know, not really don't want to do that. I don't, there's something special about the first time you say the words. And I'd like to get that on film. Wow. You know, Okay, and I just walked away, and I thought, all right, he's not much of an actor. He doesn't know how to rehearse. But we rolled the camera. He listens better than almost any other actor I've ever worked with. And then during the scene, it wasn't a big, long scene, but he changed something that affected one of my lines, and I'm listening, and I changed my line to adjust to his line, and it was just his banter back and forth between us. And it was, he was right that there was something magic and special about the very first time you do it. And that's the way he still works, you know? I mean, and, and I walked away from that day and also that movie was just the utmost respect for him because he really directed it. I think uh, it was one of his early, mm-hmm. you know, directing things, even though there was another director of record on Ted it. Ted Post. Ted Post, right? Yeah. Who, who? Yeah, I, I don't even remember Ted being
0: around, <laughs> but he was there. But I mean, you know. <laughs> kind of a Mel Brooks deal. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was some with Clint Eastwood too. He played like a typical tough guy part, but there was always something in his inflections and in his eyes. That you go, wait a minute. Am I supposed to be taking this seriously? <laughs> there was always like that card, yeah, yeah. like a slyness. Yes. And and and
2: you liked him. You know, he because if he just played it that tough, you wouldn't like him. And yet at some point, you know, Harry Callahan, you liked the guy. You yeah. know, you really you, he was he cared for people. It's a pretty good and, movie. Yeah, it's it's a real John Millius wrote it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and, and, really and it, good. It, it was it was one of the better ones yeah and and uh, and Clint couldn't have been nicer and sweeter and you know you go home early with him you never do too many takes you, you don't do a lot of different shots you just do the bare minimum that he knows we need for, to make this picture that's all you need and then we then we go home
1: right and you, and you're 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 in the middle of your western period too at this point i mean you did a you, this is interesting too you did a tv movie called hitched with uh, Sally Field i love these actors John Fiedler, Denver Pyle, and Slim Pickens. <laughs> Those are three <laughs> names. Those are three names that we perk up at. Wow! I oh, know. And I think Ed Bagley was in Ed, Ed Bagley Jr. Oh, That's oh, where Begley I met Jr. Ed Bagley Jr. Oh, we, in had, that movie, we had yeah, Ed here a couple of weeks ago. He's the best. He's so funny. God yeah. Damn, he's and funny. you're doing all. You did how the West was won, and then you did the Quest with your buddy Kurt Russell. Yeah. yeah. Another show I remember. That, that yeah, took, he, took a beating from Charlie's Angels, as I recall.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: We were up against that show. I thought we kept thinking nobody's going to watch
2: that. Who would you rather watch? A bunch of you want to see the Cowboys or you want to see these girls? And I think eh, I think maybe the girls. What the
0: heck? <laughs> and um, it's so funny. It's like you've been in millions of. You're already in millions of movies and TV shows, and yet if you say to someone Tim Matheson, I'll go. Oh, the guy from Animal House. Yeah. (laughs) Fortunately, we're not
1: one of those shows.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is
2: great. I mean, because, you know, that came at a point in my life where I, after the Westerns and I did that series with Kurt and then I was doing a, you know, and I was just being a journeyman actor working as much as I could because I was building a house. And I was sick of playing the parts that I was getting. They were just like, boring kind of like nice guy, dramatic parts on these episodic shows. So I started, I I joined a group out here called the groundlings and started doing improv. And that was the thing that got me into animal house because they wouldn't let me audition because they'd seen all my TV stuff. And they said, no, nah, no, nah, he's a cowboy or a surfer. Right. He's sure. not, he's not for, for us. And I asked a favor of one of the executives, uh, to just just let let me go in and fall on my face, then I'll be then I can walk away from it. But just let me get it. Let me just have a shot at it. So they they let me come in with my long hair and everything, and and uh, I I got to audition with Peter Riegert who played Boone in the movie, and uh, um, and it, it was a great audition. It was one of those that just took off, and it was. When we were improvising, and you know, and they were just in tears, and it was—it it worked out really
1: well. Did Landis follow you out in the hallway? Do I have that story right? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. On my second audition, um, they called me back and had me, you know, come in, and and, and it turned out just as well as the first one. And he said, would you wait out in the hall? You know, John Lannis, you know, he's so animated. He says, could you just stand out in the hall for a second, wait in the hall? And then you'd they, they hear all this commotion going on inside and laughing and commotion and carrying on. And then he comes out and he goes, you are fantastic. You're going to get this part. We're going to hire you. He said, but don't tell a soul that I said that. Don't tell a soul. I swear. And I said, yes, I swear. I ran out. I got a dime out. I put in a phone. I called my agent. I got the fucking part.
1: That's fantastic. <laughs> but don't tell anyone. That's fantastic.
0: And and what was your experience like working with Belushi?
1: Well,
2: John Belushi was just the most generous, warm-hearted, big-hearted, sweet guy that, you know, generous and talented uh, physical comedian um, and, and one of the most special people I'd ever met. And because— you know there was all a it con- was all that sort of conflict between east coast actors and west coast actors and oh the east coast we're more serious and we're more dedicated and we're here for the theater and the art and you you're some pretty people that are out there just trying to make money on TV and don't really know your craft and but Belushi wasn't buying any of that shit and he was a huge star on Saturday night live already you know and um, couldn't have been more gracious and more generous and and uh, um, and maybe it's the fact that I made him pay me back a hundred dollars I loaned him one day He's, you know he would always he'd do this thing to you uh, where you go hey, hey, give me a hundred dollars Give me hey, you got, we got any money give me a hundred bucks give me a hundred bucks and and, and did you'd never hear about it again you know I said you know so and, and nobody would ever ask him for it but I was so cheap you know I, I gave him a hundred bucks. is he gonna pay me back right And he goes yeah oh, yeah, yeah yeah, I'll pay you back And so you know like days go by, days go by we're, we're, we're in rehearsal and stuff and I said, John, where's my hundred bucks? Where's my hundred bucks? He said, Yeah, 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 I'll get it back to you. And finally he said, John, I want the hundred dollars. And he said, All right, all right, all right. And he probably looked at somebody else and said, Give me a hundred bucks. Here, Tim, here's your money. So I think that maybe was some reason that he just you know, I earned some respect from him. I got my <laughs> Interesting. <back.
1: laughs> was was Chevy supposed to play Otter?
2: Oh yeah. It was written for Chevy. Um and D Day was written for uh Android. Wow. And Her- Harold Ramus, I think, wrote Boone for himself. Interesting. And, but Landis wanted just Belushi. He didn't want to do a Lampoon radio show or he didn't want to do Saturday Night Live where there a bunch of comics running around. He wanted to surround John Belushi with real actors and keep him grounded and keep the whole movie grounded and not have it sort of wink and a nod, you know, which which is what happened with Caddyshack. And not that it's – that's a brilliant movie, but Caddyshack, it, you know, it got away from the story – uh, I think it was the Michael O'Keefe character was supposed to be a movie about this, this kid, this kid caddy. Right. But it turned into a movie about Chevy and, and, and Billy Murray. and, 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 you know, Bill Murray and, and, uh, and Rodney, uh, Rodney, you know, so, and it's as you should, right. I mean, there's a, there's a book that just came out about it, I think about the making of and, yeah. and how they just went with it. I mean, and Harold was great as a director. He just said, I'm going with this. This is funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was Kenny? What was your experience with uh, with the Stork? With the with the great Doug Kenny, ah, who the the founded co founded the National Lampoon.
2: He was the smartest, funniest man I think I've ever met. Really, A- more than yet, Gil- more than Gilbert, <laughs> right? On par, on par with Gilbert. I haven't spent that much time with Gilbert, um, and but he was so subtle about it. You know, he wasn't. Whereas, because I I hung out with Chevy and 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 Doug right around the time that Caddyshack came out, right before Doug died, and Doug would say the funniest thing you've ever heard, the most impromptu, educated, erudite comedy line you'd ever heard, and then Chevy would step on it and not let him get a laugh, and it would you know and make a fart joke, and and you know and Doug would just look at you and go, eh, you know that's Chevy, what do you and, and but he was. I remember he looked at me one day and 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 just said, "No more free brunch." You know, <laughs> a takeoff on the no. There's no free lunch line. You know, and it's like he would just do those things that they were so smart. I mean, he was the the heart and soul of the lampoon. You yeah, know? he and, sure was. And I think that he was he was tortured. He was obviously very tortured. And he'd had so much success and so much money so early that by the time he got to Eugene, Oregon, when we were shooting Animal House, you could you could see that he you know he was he was uh, you know delicate. He he was on a delicate balance. And then once that hit as big as it hit, his first movie becomes the one the most successful comedy of all times. Um, and then he was you know. It, then he was off to the races, I mean, he just, uh, you know, he, you couldn't stop him. And then when he did Caddyshack, and it wasn't as successful as Animal House the first week. How could it
1: follow? How could yeah, anything follow?
2: Yeah, I, I said, Doug, it's Animal House, a home run. This is a double or a triple. I said, well, how bad can it be? You know, I mean, they can't all be home runs. And
1: uh, a week later, he was dead. Hard on himself. And yeah he, was, yeah,
0: he jumped off a mountain in Hawaii. Or fell. Or Yeah. Yeah. Was it? I think
2: Harold Ramis had the, the the classic line about Doug Kenny. He said, "I think Doug slipped and fell off the hill while looking for a place to
1: jump." That's a great line. <laughs> it's a great line. You know that, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gallows humor to the end. Yeah, yeah. And then his and then his funeral service somehow inspired the movie The Big Chill, which was also a very a, a very is weird turn of right. Yeah. The producer is a guy named Michael Schamburg who was yeah. there and and, and, yeah. and thought and thought to make a movie about this young genius who didn't live up to his potential. Yeah. 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 The Costner character that you don't actually see in the movie. That's you know, there's right. Such chemistry among those actors. And I mean, I, I assume you credit Landis and, and, and Ivan of Reitman course. for assembling yeah. everybody. But it, it's as if you guys were acting together your whole lives. I mean, it's almost like you're watching a, a, an established comedy team, especially you and Regert. Oh, yeah. and, well, and I, yeah. I guess those things just happen. They exist in a state of bliss. But that really clicked.
2: There was, you know, I think the, the a lot of credit. The script was the most brilliant well written, well crafted um, script I'd ever seen, and and we didn't do a lot of improvisation, and Landis brought us up the the deltas uh, five days early, and we would basically rehearsed, but no, but there were no rehearsals because Landis didn't know anything about all that stuff, but we just hung out and spent all day together every day, and 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 we're getting in the spirit of it, and I remember when we did the. There was two scenes where Peter and I were in. I think the to- the scene where Belushi um, was saying, what, 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 "What happened to the Germans when they bombed Pearl Harbor?" Oh yeah, the, uh, the yeah. yeah
1: the rallying that, cry speech. The, uh, right, that sequence. Yeah. and
2: and it was the um, and and there was a, another scene with the toga party scene where I gave Peter a line. I said, "Look, I, I it was Otter's line. He says, you know what? You know what I have to do.'" toga party and that was otter's line and mm-hmm. i said to peter i said i said look we're so tight why don't we say it we look at each other and say it together at the same time and i pitched that to landis he said yeah yeah, try it and so it just made more sense to me that we were and it, it was little things like that that bonded us because peter and i bonded anyway And we were all very much, you know, in in character and in sync. And plus, we got into a huge fight with a a fraternity up in Oregon. uh, Oh, really? Together the the weekend before we started shooting, so we we got our ass kicked uh, uh, by these uh, football players that (laughs) know that for invading their party, their 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 rush party. So they said, "You can't be in here. Only only fraternity members could be in here." And I said, "Well, all right, we'll leave. I'm sorry, big deal. All right, we're leaving." But they were all drunk, and then they jumped us out in the lawn, and um, we ran, ran <laughs> to the night, laughing.
1: I have to blow a little smoke up your uh, up your butt, uh, Tim, because I, as much as I love Chevy, I think that the character would have been a little too a little too wink wink with yeah. ch- with Chevy playing it. I and I assume it would be a, a, kind of a cousin of Ty Webb in Caddyshack. Chevy's yeah. character and your well, version you. of Eric is is a, he's a he's a cad and an operator. But there's a little innocence to him. There's a little—you know what I'm trying to say? There's a sweetness to him.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but Chevy i I'm not sure was, Chevy would have brought out. No, that's very nice of you. Thank you. I think that was what Landis wanted to get at. I mean, because he said basically, you know, to all of us, they have to like you. They have to like—you can't do mean things. I mean, I, there, was, uh, there was a line in the script— as I recall, we're on our way to the Emily Dickinson School for Girls. We're, we're, we're driving. Von You Yeah, know, we're driving in this this cattle, I mean, there's this this uh, uh, um, Continental that uh, Flounder's brother has loaned him for the weekend. So, and and Flounder's going,
1: oh boy, is this great!
2: I hope we get dates. You know, and and the line was that, and I said, yeah, and Flounder goes, I hope she has big tits. And I think then uh, Otter looked around and said, "Yeah, at least as big as yours." And <laughs> <laughs> that was the written line. And then Landis, we I think we did a take of that. And he goes, "No, no, 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 no! It's not nice. You can't be mean to him." So it, he was always protecting the characters from being mean spirited and some saying things that you you know you wouldn't like. And that's why the girls walked home. That scene where the women yeah. walk home from the. Uh, um, the, the, the Dexter Lake Club, where it was the, all, the black club, you know, which was so politically incorrect. Yeah. Very funny. Which was perfect lampoon. Um, that's why the scene is there where they're walking home so that, you know, they got home okay. You know, they all weren't raped and murdered and left by the side of the road. So that we looked okay. That for Lee, we ran out and left them there, you know. It was like a bad thing.
0: We've got to do something. He's serious this time.
2: I think he knows about the exams. He's right. You're right. We got to do something. Absolutely. You know what we got to do? Toga Toga party. Party. We're on double secret probation, whatever that is. We can't afford to have a toga party. You guys up for a toga party?
0: Toga! Toga!
2: Ah, I think they like the idea, Hoove. Oh, Otter, please don't do this. We got news for you, pal. They're going to nail us no matter what we do. So we might as well have a good time. Toga! Toga!
0: Toga! We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this.
1: I love what you tweeted when Stephen First, who passed too young, and a fun, and a funny guy in his own right, and yeah. tell tell Gilbert what you what you tweeted as a as a as a tribute. Well, I think I said, hey, Flounder, you fucked up. You trusted us. Right? <laughs> it was perfect. It was, it was funny and edgy and sweet at the same time. Yeah.
0: I, yeah. I remember him saying in an interview about his weight, and he used to say he would go into McDonald's, and he was so embarrassed by how much he ate that he used to make a list and he would to to make it and he would make it look like he's ordering for other people. <laughs> and he'd go in McDonald's and go, Okay, uh Frank wants the fish filet <laughs> and I think Bob <laughs> wants a large poor diet guy. coke. And <laughs> oh, <laughs> poor
1: guy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I hated him when he got up there. We he he, he was so innocent and so like like Golly gee, you know, he was one. So like that, after about three days of this, I just, I'd had enough of this. Just shut the fuck up, would you? you just, you're just, just bugging the shit out of me. And, and then and then after a three or four more days, even before we started shooting, he st- I, I kind of fell in love with the guy. You know, you sort of just, ah, he's that's Steven, you know. And because he had just this way about him. And he told these silly, stupid stories about how, you know, he... He froze his his dog. He No, he blew his dog up in the— he, No, I froze Fluffy was the story. He froze his dog. He got his dog all wet and dirty, and he knew he was going to get in trouble, so he stuck him in the freezer to try and, you know, uh, dry him out or something. I don't know why he put him in the freezer, and then he forgot about him and left him in
1: there. Oh, my God.
0: Him. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> a terrible story. Ah. I know. I know. Uh. What I remember is after Animal House came out— there were about two or three TV three. shows. Three. It was one on every network. Yeah. That's right. Yes. That was trying to be the Animal House series. It was Delta House,
1: I think, was the one that had Steven in it. Yeah,
0: Steven and D-Day.
1: And, and then Jimmy,
2: Jamie Widows, Jamie maybe. Widows and I think Jim Doughton and a bunch of right. other people. It was
1: and, Brothers but, and, know, and Michelle, Sisters. Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer was it. Michelle in Pfeiffer was on it. it. Yeah. yeah. There was one called Brothers and Sisters.
0: Oh, okay. and I
1: can't remember the other one. There were, but they but, all had a version of Animal House, That, right. that was on the network, so right? Yeah. But that cast—I mean, Karen Allen and and mm. and Kevin Bacon and you and Peter and 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 Widows—I mean, it's just—it's a great cast, and it's just great to watch everybody. And John Vernon, oh. tell us about—and there, and there's a guy with a career. Yes, see him in Point Blank with Lee Marvin. You must have. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about him. Well, he was. You know, um
2: Landis just fought to get him in the movie and uh and you know, and Cesare De Nova. I mean here oh, were, yes. these, here oh, were these again character actors, character stars that had been you know, been he'd been a heavy villain, you yes. know in yes. playing Eastwood movies and uh, Josie Wales, I think. And I mean he's he was he was a very formidable actor, so I think he was the perfect Dean Wormer. But he kept trying to be funny. And Landis would go, no, 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 no. And he'd come to John and he'd say, pitch him. John, you know, I'll I'll do this, I'll do this, and then I'll do this and this. And he goes, no, no, no. Just say the lines. Just you know, you guys, perfect the way it is. And and uh, but very nice fellow, very you know, wonderful man. I mean, I didn't. You see, we were all in our own compartments. I mean, I we only had one or two scenes with Dean Wormer, so I never saw him. Right. Um, I mean, he was around the roadway in, but. Um, and, and, and I realized it the other day, there really only one scene where we're all together with the Deltas and the Omegas and, and Vernon and um, just everyone is in the courtroom scene. That's you right. Know, that's the one scene where we all, ha- you know, and, and really it's just, it's Jamie, Widows, and me, I think, and John, Vernon, and, you know, and it was really. And
1: Marmalade and the.
2: Yeah. yeah, and all those people are yeah. there. But I mean, it's like uh, we sort of carried the ball, and, and um, it it was um, it was a very special day that when we did that because I mean, you know when we shot the movie in like five weeks. It was like we had no time for anything.
1: He did car- He played a cartoon superhero as you did. You were on Space Ghosts, and he was Iron. You ever see those bad Marvel cartoons from the early '60s? Oh, uh, where they basically horrible. just animated comic strips and tried to make. He was Iron Man. Who was John Vernon?
0: No way. He was. Wow. He was. I, I remember he did, those. He did those
1: Marvel superheroes cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> 65, 64.
0: They oh would God. have a still frame. That's correct. Of like Spider-Man, and they would shake it around
1: <laughs> for the action. That's pretty much there it. There would be
0: no animation, or they'd zoom in and zoom out. On the picture
1: real quick. Yep. And I think I may have misspeaking here. He might have been Submariner too. He
0: had a long career.
1: He did a lot of interesting things. Yeah. And and it's funny you talk about the acting style because we had Ed Begley in here talking about playing comedy. And maybe he was talking about Spinal Tap. I can't remember what it was. And we had David Zucker here from Uh. Airplane. But talking about... And Ed was saying you got to play it like it's Strindberg for it it to work. And it's interesting that Landis gave him that direction. Play it straight. When you watch Animal House today you realize it's really not trying hard to be funny. Oh, no. It's playing no. it like a drama. And that's why, one of the reasons it works.
0: And, I and think when so. Zucker was on. It was like originally they wanted a load airplane with comedians. Ugh. And then what I always felt what, what, what hurt Leslie Nielsen was when he realized he was funny. And he was no longer the B actor That he was in Airplane And he was trying to be funny
1: Yes, yes Some of that may have been direction You know, Zucker was here And I think he was very happy with Stack And he's very happy with Nielsen But he says looking back now uh, Bridges was a little broad. Brid- that Bridges was yeah. uh, Lloyd Bridges was going for laughs, and it yeah. still bothers him. <laughs> like Thirty-seven years later, he's the- dead. I- <laughs> Dig him up. Make him do it again. <laughs> the other thing about Animal House, uh, this this was uh, this I found funny. The guy that played Otis Day, I don't know. I hope right. this is true and not bullshit. Dwayne Jesse changed his name to Otis Day and toured. Absolutely. Wait, that's and he so makes cool. makes a
2: lot of money. Isn't that cool? To this day, especially like this is our 40th anniversary year, and 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 there's a lot of you know like Chiller and those right, kinds right, of right. There's a lot of these events, and I actually was at one down in uh, Orlando. No, I take it back. It was in Tampa Bay, and and. Uh, um Otis was there and I always wanted to call him Dwayne and, and he said, No, no, his name call him call him his
1: <laughs> <Jesus, laughs> name to the character's
2: <laughs> name, Gilbert.
1: <laughs> and he
2: gets you know, he plays with a local band and yeah. and, and he and sings the songs and, and he gets paid a lot of money.
1: Damn it, everything works in that movie, no matter how many times uh, you see it. And I know this is the thing about art is that sometimes there are happy accidents. But go, you go back and you watch that thing and you think, oh, am I looking at this, you know, through nostalgia, you know, through, through rose-colored glasses because I remembered it so fondly. It's it just like Blazing Saddles yep. or, or Young Frankenstein. You could just put it on and it's just textbook. It's, it, well, you know, I agree. And it's a testament, I think, to the
2: script because Harold Ramis and Chris Miller and, and Doug Kenny were the smartest guys in the room. And it was just that good. You know, Belushi was really the only one who improvised much. We eh, we might throw in a line here. I got an idea. Let me try this. Yeah, go ahead. But mostly was per script. It was written that way and performed that way. And those guys were just geniuses. And and you know, I mean, Harold had a tremendous career as a director and an actor. Right. Sure. And but better as a director and a writer. And and uh, you know, and Doug certainly is as, as a writer. And, and the founder of The Lampoon, you
1: know, and we lost him too soon. I mean, to all of them. Yeah, well, we, yeah. we, we would have killed to have Ramus here. But it's also a turning point for you because at this point you're saying, I'm not doing comedies. I'm playing westerns. I'm playing boy next door characters. Now, after Animal House, you're the comedy guy. Yeah. You're in Up, you're in up the <laughs> Creek. You're in, uh, you're in 1941 doing a, doing a, a, a big comedy scene. S- suddenly get Matheson if you're doing yeah. this comedy. I mean, Spielberg called me. I don't know how he found
2: me. I was on my way back from, I think, the How the West Was Won or or the Apple Dumpling Gang Rise Again, which were two jobs that I took after Animal House, I believe. Uh, not How the West Was Won, but uh, I did. Uh, but it must have been uh, uh, Apple Dumpling Gang because I needed a, the money. There was no money for Animal House. Nobody got paid anything. I mean, I think I got paid twenty grand for six weeks, which was. Less than my TV money, you know, it was right, less than sure. I normally may. Yeah, I said, "But for this one, I'll do it." And uh, so I'm in. I'm on my way back from Utah after shooting this movie with Tim Conway and Don Knotts, and I stop at like the MGM Grand, and I, you know, wake up and the phone's ringing one morning, and and uh, it's Spielberg, and he wants me to, you know, he wants you to come out, come over to the studio. I want to get to know you. I loved you in the Animal House. And it was like, okay. <laughs> and he, when, I, when I got there, he said, I got, there's two, there's three parts of this movie and you can have any of them you want. But I, you know, uh but I think you should take this one, but but whatever you want to do. And it was like, okay, all right. And I, you know, and I realized that the character I played in it, uh, Loomis Burkhead, was um was a character that could have been and should have probably been cut out of the movie. And the movie way too long, I think. You know, it's, it's funny, but it's, um, one of those things that easily, that whole sequence with me and Nancy Allen, that whole thing could have been cut out of the movie.
1: Well, yes, it's not. It's not germane to the rest of the plot. No, but it doesn't matter. I don't want them to cut it out because it's one of the funniest things in the movie. Yes, I, thank you. I mean, it was so much fun
2: to to and to work with him. But it was the 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 real sort of tragic thing was that John Belushi had changed so much, and and his success and his. Uh, stardom had taken such a toll on him by from the time we did animal house till the time, you know, we did 1941. I mean, blues Brothers had been in between and now they're touring. He and Danny were touring as blues brothers and, and, you know, they've got hit records and they hit movies. And so, you know, it was just, and everybody he met wanted to party with him. So, I mean, he even had a, he had bodyguards to keep people away from giving him drugs which never worked and and uh but he was yeah he was in, in not in the best shape at, at that point point.
0: and when you were doing animal house with him uh it's funny cuz for a guy with a drug problem he was like wasn't it like half the week he'd fly to new york
1: <laughs> yeah to yeah. do
0: saturday night live and then fly back and do animal house exactly and he had, but he was clean i you know
2: what i don't know what they did in new york but at least when he was with us monday tuesday wednesday and then on wednesday night they'd drive him to portland and put him on a plane uh, red eye to new york and thursday friday saturday he'd be there in new york doing rehearsals and saturday night live they'd they'd you know perform it saturday night late live and then they'd pour him on a plane on sunday morning and he'd fly back to eugene and usually it was me and uh, um, Bruce McGill who played D-Day. We'd pick him up and bring him back to his house where Judy was waiting, and you know we'd have a nice quiet dinner and and then go to work on Monday. And it, it, it he was on his best behavior, and and um, you didn't see any of that, you know, any of that druggy behavior. Thank God, and um, that's why he's so good, and he that's why you loved him. His character, he has that. He, he was so cuddly, you know he was just he had a big heart, and it came across in whatever he did and and I think that's one of the things that made him so funny and and uh and so dear and and by the time we got around to nineteen forty one and then afterwards uh it, it just
1: he wasn't so cuddly, you know sounds like it was a troubled set nineteen forty one for 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 a lot for a lot of reasons
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: it just went on and on and on i mean you know and and there was all this you know amazing talent and we're just and I'm not in most of the scenes that everybody else was in, so I'm off doing my thing alone right. with Nancy. Right. And I think I, <clears throat> there were certain couple of scenes that I was in while they were in the main street with everybody else. So, but, but, you know, you'd sit around for three weeks waiting to shoot one little scene. Yeah. Because and, and that's how Steven worked then, and he liked everybody there, and we may get to it, we may not. And that was just the way I did it, but it was a huge, huge movie.
1: There are individual moments in there. We've recommended the movie on the show on this show. You know, Stack has some great moments. The Christopher mm-hmm. Lee, Slim Pickens, Tashiro Mafuni stuff is just <laughs> off the wall. Uh, yeah. Ned Ned Beatty's very funny, but it's it, it I think Gilbert would agree. It's like most all star comedies. It's hard to pull them off for some reason. Yeah, they
0: they, well, they, it, they it's they, like get,
1: they get outsized or that.
0: It's just like Mad 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 World. Too big. <laughs> it it's like. I I advise everyone to see it, but it's not that good.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. No, you're right, and and it's. I think when you look at Animal House, everybody has their own unique style of comedy. Yeah, you know, Belushi's physical and no, not much dialogue, and I'm sort of this you know guy that's trying to get laid, and and and. Boone and Katie are a romantic, you know, Marx Brothers kind of thing, and and Pinto and and Flounder are like Laurel and Hardy, you yeah. know. What I mean, so everybody's got their own little distinct voice. Well, in in 1941, everybody had
1: the same voice, and it was just, ah! you know, it was just crazy, pitchmatic. Yeah, it's also <laughs> lacking heart that Animal House has. Yeah. there's a there's a there's an emotional center. <clears throat> yeah, in Animal know, House, I agree. Tell us quickly about working with with uh, with Tim Conway and Don Knotts. <laughs> 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 well, and Jack Elam, <laughs> Ken, Kenneth Mars is in that movie. Another genius, another Mars. genius. Oh my God, yeah.
2: Um, I the, the Don Knotts was the sweetest, shyest, quietest guy. He was really like I, if you, Gilbert. I don't know if you have ever seen the the things that he did on the Steve Allen show. I'm older than you, so, but they would do the Man on the Street, and he was like this the nervous guy, and he was you know. He was always getting, he was very nervous. And, well, that was sort of Don, you know. I mean, he was kind of just sweet, and he didn't know why he was a star. I mean, he you know, kind of did, but he, and Tim Conway was merciless to, he would break him up, and he would try (laughs) and break him up in every scene they did. And often he'd get to the point where he would just look at him, and Don would just go, you know. (laughs) So it was hard to get through a take without Don, you know, falling to pieces and saying, stop that. Just stop that. <laughs> but Tim Conway, God, he was, you know, uh, I both, mean, both
1: brilliant. Yeah. I mean, both, were, both comedy icons, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't remember much about that movie, except it was a Western. We shot it up in Northern California, and uh, there was a train involved. And, and then we shot in Utah a part of the time, too. So uh, it was fun. I mean, it was all, it was my only Disney film, really. I think it was the only time I ever really worked at Disney.
1: Um, Interesting.
2: And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, but, um, but those guys were just, it was a joy to be on the set with them. They were just
1: too funny. Here's a couple of quick wild cards, Tim, as we wind down. Did you audition for Indiana Jones? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's and, a, that's interesting. Well, everybody
2: in Hollywood auditioned for that. <clears throat> and um, I remember I was doing a play or getting, going into a play, and it was a question whether, whether I'm going to do the play here at the Mark Taper Forum. In Los Angeles, or I was going to do Indiana Jones? Of course, you want to do Indiana Jones, and I just knew I looked too young for that part. You know, I mean, I barely was shaving, and I mean, I'm in late twenties, but I have a very light beard, and I knew that I, you know, and um, so I, I just did what I could. I added lines to my face and just make, you know, and um, and I remember I did a good test. I did a pretty good test, and I remember finally like. Three or four days later, I, you know, the agent said, hey, "You know what? They, 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 loved you, but they're not. You know, they're going to go another way." I said, "All right." They said, "But George Lucas wants you to come in. He wants to talk to you." And I said, "Really? Okay." So, some on my way to the rehearsal, I'm going to do the play. Now, I go in and see George Lucas, and I'm kind of heartbroken. I mean, it was. I knew it was, this is a big movie. I knew it was going to be big, and I wanted to work with Steven again too, and. George Lucas said, Yeah, well, you know, he's and he's so shy and, you know. He said, Well, you know, it was uh, it's a tough choice and we're gonna go and we're really sorry. And I said, Well, oh, yeah. And he said, But you you know, you, you did the best test. Yours was the best test. Oh and I know he's probably bullshitting me, but I was like I, <laughs> I thought, oh well thanks. You know, it's like it's like the girl breaking up with you and said, Yeah, you're a great lay. You know, but, but so long, sucker! I'm sucking his dick. You know, and it was like, and, uh, and and I looked at George Lucas and I said, "Oh, George, don't worry about it. We'll work together again." And it was like, oh, Jesus, I'm I'm, con- I'm consoling him for this. It's hilarious.
0: Oh,
1: jeez. Uh, you know, and I want to say too, you play a good bad guy, uh, Fletch. I just rewatched the Brady Bunch sequel. You <laughs> you play. You play a fun, uh, what's the word? Uh, Asshole? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Asshole? You, you do, and that's, that's got to be hard to do. It's got to be hard to play that character and still be likable. I just play myself, you know?
2: <laughs> I mean, and the best, one of the best that, you know, thank you very much. I, the, the the Always the best roles are the villains. And I did a, a character named Dead Larry on Burn Notice, which was actually one of my favorite
1: Oh, we got to dig that up.
2: Yeah, it's fun. Really, really fun. He's, he's the... He, he's like the, the biggest jerk. But you loved him, but he cut your throat, you know, uh, the second you weren't looking.
1: You do have that little – there's that little Indiana Jones opening in the Brady sequel where you're <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. You go, By one chance. Yeah, you got a little <laughs> bit close to it. I just want to go back quick, Tim, before we let you get out of here, because i got to bring these names up. And we, we didn't talk really about Space Ghost or Gary – the great late, great Gary Owens. Gary Owens, yeah. But also Ted Cassidy. Key Luke, who you mentioned, Paul Freeze. <laughs> these these people are iconic. Key Luke, I think
2: I worked with Key Luke on uh, uh, the Hardy Boys. Okay, was something I did a pilot that didn't sell when I was like seventeen. Or, oh no, eighteen. Because I know p- part of the reason that I got the job was for all the people who auditioned. You had to be, you had to have a deferment because this was during the Vietnam War. And so, if, if no matter how good you were, if you didn't have a good deferment, then they couldn't hire you because because you know you'd be, you'd be drafted and be gone. And I had a deferment, so um, I uh, was I. They let me test, and I got the job. Uh, but that's where I worked with Key Luke and and um, uh, all those guys. And
0: what was your deferment?
2: I had a two S, which was a student deferment, and then. Um, then I lost my deferment and went into the Marine Corps Reserves and did uh, six months active duty and then came back to my reserve unit in Los Angeles. So I was, I was in the Marine Corps, but never saw active duty, never went to Vietnam.
1: Wow, interesting. Uh, thank God. Otherwise, I'd, I'd have been dead. You want to tell us about somebody you both knew uh, before we jump, Sam Kinison? Uh,
2: yeah, Sam, Sam. He was great. I mean, uh, my experience with him was um, we did this pilot, you know, and and you know, and he was legendary drug issue and drug problems, and one of the funniest people I ever met, Charlie Hoover, yeah, Charlie Hoover for Fox, and um, but he was clean and sober and straight arrow through the whole pilot. He played my my demonic evil sort of voice in my ear, Mm -hmm. you know, to try and, and I was a milk toasty guy that, you know, he was trying to get me to break loose and he said, yeah, you know, get out there and do it. So, um, and, and we came in after we shot the pilot and I think it got picked up and we were going to do the series and we came in to record a bunch of lines, loop some lines, re-record sounds. And I said to Sam, I said, God, you know, God love you. How did you get off drugs? And what's what's you know what what's your your deal? How you? he said, I'm not sober. <laughs> I fuck it. You know, he said, Have you ever had one of these? And he pulled out some big pill.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I thought, Oh, holy shit, <laughs> we're in for it now. And you know, and he was great to work with, and um, um, and a, again, a troubled man. But I mean, what a brilliant comedian and he whatever. was you know a brilliant stylist i mean gill you you knew
1: him i mean you guys you, you to know together how old you yeah. know Kennison?
0: what what i remember about my my best memory about him was i went on the uh emmys as a presenter uh-huh. and i got in trouble but doing these jokes about Pee Wee Herman <laughs> masturbating in a theater. George
1: Schlatter's still mad at you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and they they cut it out, and there were all this outrage. And I remember Kinnison was cracking up, and he said he loved it because everybody was worried that he was going to do something bad. <laughs> He took him off the hook. When I got in trouble, he thought that was the greatest thing in the world.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You watched a couple of guys, uh, uh, you know, young talents burn out and John Belushi and Sam and also Chris Farley. Chris Farley. You did Black Sheep. And all these guys. Yeah.
2: You know, they were so vulnerable and they had such big hearts and Farley too. I mean, I think he had a, you know, a death wish. I think he, Sort of really, he revered John Belushi and revered Animal House and wanted always to hear about it. And um, you know, he couldn't have been more generous and nice to me and and fun to and you know. And he was one of those performers. Chris Farley was between takes while they were setting up a scene or lighting a scene. He'd entertain the background artists. He you know there, there were 250 background artists extras there as a crowd for a, for a campaign rally. He would do a strip tease to get them all you know <laughs> laughing and, and just relaxed. I mean, he just couldn't not perform. So um, and he was sober while we were doing the movie, but smoked more and drank more coffee than any 10 people I've ever seen in my life. And I thought, wow, if this is how compulsive he is about smoking and, and, right. and coffee, I would hate to see him when he's, you know, off the wagon. Yeah.
0: And what was the cast of Bonanza like?
1: <laughs> <laughs> there's a
0: there's a one out of left field. Speaking yeah. of druggies, come Hop on. To, How tight were you with Hop Singh? <laughs> <laughs> we always talk about on this show, we bounce from someone being born... <laughs> Now, how would you like to be remembered to the middle of your career? <laughs> and I I just saw I wrote down, but how was the cast of Bonanza?
2: You know, there was the fourteenth year, and Lauren, and you you know you'd have to drag these people onto the set because you know they they'd done this show so so long, and really Michael Landon was running the show, and. Um, and, and and they didn't. They loved it. He ran the show very well. He wrote a lot of the episodes, you know. And and Lauren was there. They were all getting paid a lot of money to do this. And um, I got into trouble because I had, you know, I'd never really done a lot of press, and and so they. But when I got cast in it, the TV Guide did a, you know, a whole episode, a whole issue about Bonanza, and I was quoted as saying. You know, I think the time for these kinds of shows has come to an end uh, and that it's time for a new kind of Western. And Michael Landon took tremendous exception that I said. And wow. almost never forgave me. Uh, um, he, he was always nice to me, and, and but I don't think he was ever really pleased that I'd said. You know, he, he called me and, and read me the riot act, and I apologized and, and said, I you know, he said, people have died. People spent their life life on this show. They've died on this show, you know, and it's like, and you're dissing them. And I said, no, no, Michael, I didn't. You know, I got quoted out of context and whatever, you know, and, and he said, all right, all right. But, you know, he I don't think he really ever forgave me. Wow! It was it was his family, you know, yeah, and yeah. and those were the same crews that went with him to the little house on the right. prairie, and then Highway to Heaven, and and those were the same, you know, the, the same group of people, the same crew, and that followed him everywhere. And he was he was a very
1: talented, very funny. man. Nice that he was so loyal. So so we'll 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 sign off. We just want to ask you about your directing all the time now.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've been very busy and. Uh, Um, actually this last couple of months I've been so busy acting, I haven't had a chance to do much directing. So I'm just going with the flow and, and, uh, um, I, I love this business. I love, you know, I'm never more comfortable than when I'm on a set. And, um, so I just,
1: um, the door opens, I go through it. You're working with Christine Baranski on the good fight. You're doing, you're doing movies. You're you're doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah, Yeah. You're constantly working.
0: You can't get rid of him, you know? What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> and do you have anything to plug?
2: Well, The Good Fight is a CBS.com show that I've uh, been recurring on with Christine Baranski, um, uh, and it's a sequel to The Good Wife. And what else? Uh, I was in Madam Secretary, and... Um, no, I just, you know, um, it's now new, the new the new shows have just been picked up, and so it's all going to start over again, so... Uh,
1: so let's, this has been great fun. You guys are awesome. Let's let's. Well, we thank you for doing this. You know, we wanted you on this show, and thank and you. we really appreciate you making the schlep and being part of this this oral history project. We've done two hundred <laughs> over two hundred of them. <laughs> wow, good for you. This yeah. is fabulous, really fabulous.
0: Okay, so this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and we've been talking. To the man who took over National Lampoon and failed miserably,
1: <laughs> <laughs> he ran it right into the ground. Sad but true. <laughs> Tim, you're the. This is the first guest. You're the first guest where my wife wanted to actually come to the uh, to the recording. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so. I like to flatter you a little bit, <laughs> thank and you. thanks for being so great a chiller too. All right, well, thank you, thanks, Frank and and Gil. It's
2: great being here, and thank you. Oh,
0: thank you, Tim Matheson, ladies. And gentlemen. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Godfried's amazing colossal podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santa Padre, with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Fair, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance. Pluto do the Pluto Do the Pluto do the Pluto